And Susan Botting's local democracy reporter. She's based at the Northern Advocate in Whangarei. Uh, welcome, Susan. Dinakwe. Dinakwe, Catherine. It's all on with the Whangarei Maritime Festival. How many people have come? Just explain what happens here. So this is the first maritime festival of its type in New Zealand, and it took place in the weekend. And can you imagine... 13,000 people turning up to a festival like that is absolutely wild and staggered. Everybody concerned the level of interest. Its uh, aim is to celebrate Whangarei's maritime spirit, past, present and future, and it really, really did that. I was there for quite a bit of the time, and as a sailor home from the sea, I was thinking about this. To me, it was like uh, coming home and making maritime magic happen. And it really did that amazingly. There were about 30 boats lined up along half a kilometre of dockside at the event, and they were filled with all sorts of different maritime history and stories. Of course, the world's last official Hundewasser building kind of presided over the event with its wonky, chunky, bright colours and gold leaf covered eight metre high cupola atop. So that was an amazing sort of visual context for the whole thing. And there was a range of speakers uh, covering things like the Niagara wreck off the coast of Northland, just inside the Haraki Gulf Marine area. And the festival was really interesting because it brought all sorts of people out, those who knew heaps about boating, those who knew nothing about boating, and everywhere in between. Of course, the town basin has a really interesting history, including in 1985, in the middle of winter, a yacht from New Caledonia slipping into the town basin marina where about 100 boats are at the moment anyway, apart from the visiting festival boats. This Ovia slipped into the marina and suntanned people, middle of winter, out of place. This yacht was called the Ovia. Now, of course, many people will know the name Ovia. They stayed for a few days. And then the saboteurs on board made their way down to Auckland and blew up the Rainbow Warrior. Well, of course, there's different moods and everything today amongst the festival-going vessels. One of them was designed in the US in 1930, and its former owners included United States Army General George Patton and also a very well-known actor and singer a little bit later. So that it was it was quite amazing, really. It was organised by the Black Ball Maritime Society, which grew out of the Black Ball Yacht Club. Now, you may know that the town basin in Whangarei is a haven for around about 200 overseas yachties in our summer every year as they come down to New Zealand to escape their cyclone season in the Pacific. So when COVID happened, rather than being overseas yachties that came and went as they do, like swallows, 
the yachties were kind of trapped in New Zealand for about three years with lockdowns and that sort of thing. So they wanted to give back to the people of Whangarei for the awesome generosity, hospitality and community making that they were part of. One of the fascinating things at the festival was a tent that was constantly filled with a procession of mainly young people. And they were partaking in the ancient Japanese printmaking technique called gyotaku, which is about getting a fish, painting the fish, then getting a t-shirt or a bag or a piece of material, pressing that on top of the painted fish, and voila, there is your unique fish print. Now, in the 18th century and earlier, Japanese fishermen would use this technique to record their fish catches. So that was quite fascinating. And of course, at the at the uh, other end of proceedings, there was a helicopter rescue, a demonstration, I might say, a helicopter rescue in the town basin lower area where the Northland Emergency Services Trust helicopter came along and winched a dude down the winch to a waiting Coast Guard person to be rescued and plucked up to the helicopter. So people were lined up everywhere on that too it's uh the uh, the other thing is that 13,000 people I worked out that's roughly about 20% of the population of Whangarei which is quite extraordinary I reckon but my prediction is and others are talking about it too Napier's Art Deco Festival Week for example Whangarei Maritime Festival is sort of aiming to head in that direction so that'll be quite something to put Whangarei on the map because the economy up here is really underpinned significantly by our maritime sector. For example, do you know that the only place north of Auckland for a super yacht to take its mast out and light down on the ground is in Whangarei because nowhere else has enough room for a 100-foot mast to lie on the ground, for example. So, yeah, that was the festival and... It was an extraordinary success. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, uh, what's happened, please, with the Whangarei District Council and the question of the fluoridation mandate? Just remind us the role that councils played uh, in decisions around this and did it change in the last wee while? Yes, yes. So councils typically had the role of choosing whether or not they were going to fluoridate their council supplied drinking water. So in the last year or so, probably a little longer, things segued. So the government has taken over that responsibility. And of course, you may remember a man called Dr. Ashley Bloomfield. I wonder who does and doesn't remember that person. And one of his last missions when he was Director General of Health for New Zealand was in July last year to direct 14 councils in New Zealand to fluoridate. Subsequently, further ones were also directed. So anyway, the, the mandate came, and in Whangarei, that's going to mean around about $4.6 million and 60,000 people roughly having fluoride added to their water. So... It's a bit like 
a lot of things where councils like Three Waters it's is changing. So there's a, a government position on that. And so it, it's quite controversial, as you might imagine. The council decided not long ago, we're going to just pause on this mandating idea for our fluoridation or not. We're going to put this on the table for a month and consider a few things. They were a bit worried about not getting any government funding towards the cost of fluoridation. They were a bit worried about, well, some some councillors were concerned about not going out to the community and asking its voice. And that's very interesting because you see this is a mandated thing. So I got in touch with the Deputy Director General of Health, Dr. Andrew Old, and I asked him, what are the consequences of not complying? And a council can be fined up to $200,000 for not complying under the Health Act 1956, plus 10 grand a day for ongoing non-compliance. So the jury is still a bit out about what's going to happen, yeah. I suspect, in Whangarei. And... The government's also working with Kauwara, Hastings and Waipa district councils on their fluoridation directive. So watch the space. Now, Kaipara District Council, just uh, two or three minutes left, Susan. Uh, Kaipara District Council cli- uh, cancelling some climate change work. What's the context for it? So, of course, we have a council, one of four in Northland, which is part of the collaborative Tite Tokerau Climate Adaptation Strategy Group of all the councils. And so recently the council decided to cancel two key pieces of climate change work, the council climate change policy and its emissions accounting. It was already scheduled, that mahi, in the council's long-term plan and budgeted. But of course that was under a a previous council. So the new councils come in with about 70% of new councillors and a new mayor and said we don't want this to happen the $33,000 involved could be better spent on other things uh, interestingly Kaipara's Ruawai and Raupo area in 2021 became Northland's first settlement for piloting new climate change adaptation work and the mayor reckons that wiping these two pieces of mahi won't affect that so it's a different move for Northland Let's just finish with a moment to note, I think we knew, we certainly knew he'd been nominated and we might even know he'd won, but have you now got your uh, Far North Mayor receiving this Global Youth Leadership Award, Susan? Yes, so in in Belfast, in Northern Ireland recently, the words of the late Hokianga matriarch Dame Fina Cooper rang out across people, hundreds of people from many countries, 190 countries, when Far North Mayor Moko Tepania received his One Young World Politician of the Year Award. And he got that for services to youth. And he talks about her words, Dame Fina's words about take care what your young people see, hear and feel because they are the people of Aotearoa tomorrow. And he talks about decision-making being founded on Mokopuna decisions for the people that will come after us. Tepanea recently uh, graduated with a Master in Education and 
his thesis was about, or his dissertation was about the use of marumataka, which is the Maori lunar calendar in education. So, yeah, it was very interesting. Yamihi Nui, Susan, thanks so much for that. Susan Botting is a Northland local democracy reporter. She's based at the Northern Advocate in Whangarei.